Um, I'm just saying to be super focused on being the best steelhead guide I could be. And uh, that was a mistake. That was a huge mistake to give up all that. I, I can't get that time back. I can't, I, you know, my grandfather died. You know, I missed time. Like, you know, my, my dad said it bad. One, once enough, my dad said it best. Once enough, enough. I'm really proud of what you've done. But when's enough, enough? Like, when are you going to do the things that, that, that you used to do? That was Greg Senyo getting real with it and talking about the impact of fly fishing on his life. This is the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. I'd love it if you could leave some feedback uh, for the podcast or a question if you have one for the show. You can head over to wetflyswing.com speak to leave a voice message to get your question or comment, uh, maybe even uh, answered on the show. Uh, if you have one, that'd be amazing if you had time to do that. Um, Greg Senyo, the man behind Laser Dub and the leader in the Steelhead Alley area, shares his story of how it all came to be. We find out about the uh, the man behind uh, Hairline and the person who helped him elevate his game over there. We dig into a little on stripping streamers for steelhead. And uh, we find out uh, as we take a step back on the fly fishing industry and just get a little deeper dive into Greg's perspective on it. So so pretty good stuff. Uh, a lot of uh, we'll go a few F-bombs in here. So just a heads up if you have kids listening, uh, I wanted to give you, uh, let you know you've been warned. Hey, before we get started, I just want to take a moment to thank our sponsor for this episode. The Fly Fishing and Tying Journal uh, is our sponsor, and they're doing a great job over there. If you want to check out what they have going, head over to wetflyswing.com FTJ and see what the, new, uh, the newest uh, edition is right now. So without further ado. Here is Greg Senyo from gregsenyoflytying.com. How's it going, Greg? Good, man. How are you? Thanks for having me today. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you taking the time. This has been good. I've uh, I've had you on the list for uh, quite a while. It's one of those things where sometimes I'll I'll reach out to somebody and I'll just be like, okay, they're there. And then I don't know how long it was. I think you uh, you lost track of me on Facebook, but it's great because you you reached out and said, yeah, let's do it. So I'm pretty fired up to get started. Yeah, I didn't, you know, I have this, uh, you know, I didn't, I haven't been checking my, my messages on, on Facebook and like, I guess there's like another area too, where like messages build up and, um, my kids kind of showed me like, Hey, you're missing out here. Uh, you need to check this. And I seen that you had sent me a message to do this podcast and I felt terrible, um, that uh, I ignored you. So I'm glad we're able to connect and, uh, and do the show today. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, well, I think some of the stuff we'll probably dig into some of these tangents as far as maybe your, uh, you know, social media, maybe if we have little types, little stuff like that, but I think mainly I want to dig into, you know, obviously steelhead and the, you know, I guess for you, for me, I think laser dub, it's just great. Send you a laser dub. It seems like that's the thing that you always hear. Maybe the first thing you hear about, but all that, you know, you've got this brand going. Um, I want to dig into that before we get there. Just talk about how you first got into fly fishing and how you brought it to where you are. I mean, I grew up in uh, Girard, Pennsylvania, right on Elk Creek, which 
is pretty much, I would say that that's the heart of, of that whole little region right there. Um, Pennsylvania has a, has a serious stocking program that, that stream river Creek, whatever you want to call it, depending on where you're from. Um, it's always full of fish and it's, uh, very user-friendly. Um, I think you'll see more license plates from around the country on that stream per year than probably any other stream in the area. Um, but I cut my teeth there. I lived there. I could literally walk down to the Creek, um, fish every day. Um, so I kind of cut my teeth there and, uh, you know, back then we didn't really have, uh, the luxury of having all these really cool techie things to go to learn to fly fish. And we didn't really have a lot of instructors and stuff back then. So you kind of, it was by trial and error. You know, my first, uh, fly rod and reel setup was from the buyer's fair in town. It was just a little Martin rod and reel. Um, didn't even know I needed backing, uh, on the, on the fly line. You know, you just kind of spooled the fly line up and, put uh, straight trilene on the end of the fly line and you went out and you caught steelhead. You just didn't know any better back then. <laughs> um, but as I got older, you know, there's some very good shops in the area. There's uh, Elk Creek Sports Store, which is right, you know, toward the mouth of uh, Elk Creek. And then you had Folly's End Fly Shop, which is about middle middle river. And uh, I spent a lot of time at Folly's and, uh, you know, that's how I got uh, – to learn how to tie flies. I met, uh, you know, one of the older gentlemen there. He's not with us anymore, but his name is, uh, Clyde Murray. So Clyde, um, for anybody that lives in the area or, or comes to fish in the area, everybody knew Clyde. He was the, the old gristled veteran, you know, yep. straight shooter. He was, uh, he was the one that uh, points you in the right direction. Didn't give you any bull crap. And, uh, he caught me as a kid, uh, stealing flies out of the hmm. bin and uh instead of uh you know getting mad telling my parents stuff like that he uh he taught me how to tie flies and uh that changed everything for me right there wow that that's pretty that's a pretty cool story the so you're i mean I, I kind of have, I remember when I was a kid, I had a similar thing. It was different because I was at, uh, I was at Fred Meyers, you know, our local store here and I got caught up with the wrong older kid. Um, right. And, uh, and we got scared shitless because I mean, they took us in, I think they, they had the cops there. We were stealing, I think like CDs. I mean, so it was, it was legit, it was a real deal, but, <laughs> but they took us in the back and I mean, just scared the bejesus out of it. And I remember, I remember they, um, you know, I had to go home and wait for my dad to get home from work. And it was just like the worst thing ever. But I mean, for you, this is like, I mean, a similar deal, stealing flies, but you have this guy. I mean, what, what did that whole experience, how, how did that, I mean, take us there because I don't, I don't, I'm trying to get a picture of it. So this, you got to think real small mom and pa fly shop. I mean, it, it's everything that you want in that little, you know, it's like finding that really good restaurant. You know, that backwater yep. restaurant, like if you're in Louisiana or, you know what I mean? That's yep. just only the locals go to, right? It kind of has that kind of feel. And uh, it's also situated right in a campground, okay? Oh, wow. So it's, uh, it's, it's got all kinds of dynamic going right on the river. And, uh, you know, it's real easy to roll up there and it's small and, you know, and what I do is I'd go in and like they had these giant fly bins and, you know, I mean, I never like stole, 
you know, like I wasn't filling my pockets kind of deal, you know. Um, yeah. I usually had enough money to buy like one or two flies. And, you know, I'll tell you what, anybody that fishes Elk Creek knows that that, uh, that shale monster that's there, <laughs> you can go through flies in a hurry, okay? <laughs> you know, that whole, that whole river is just one giant piece of shale, okay? <laughs> so it eats leaders, it eats tippet, and it loves to eat steal your flies from you so it wouldn't take long for me to go through a couple you know five dollars worth of flies right and uh you know guys still smoked inside back then right or they got on the porch smoke so when clyde caught me he didn't even like grab onto me i just i was outside sitting on the porch and he walked outside smoking a cigarette and he's like i still haven't figured out what i want to do with you yet and I was like, I don't understand. And he's like, I know what you did. And he's like, I just don't know what I want to do about it yet. And uh, he gave me like an ultimatum. He's like, I could either teach you and then you could put some flies in the shop to replace that. And he's like, then you would never have to take them again. He's like, or I can call your dad and tell them what happened and and I can go that route. And he goes, I don't think uh, either one of us win if we go that way. So it was like literally within 10 minutes, all that happened. And he pulled out a vice and showed me how to tie what they call an egg fly and sucker spawn and stuff like that right there. And he would not let me get up off the table until I knew what the tools were. I knew how to put the thread on the hook and that was it. I mean, I was young. I'm talking nine, ten years old, and uh, that's how I got started with that. That's cool. And uh, we all have a hometown buddy too, right? You know, we always we all have that kid that we you know have common interests with, and we love to hang out with. And uh, I had a buddy like that in town too, and he was uh, already versed in fly tying. Okay, and. Uh, I excelled after the fact off of him as well. He uh, he showed me all the little things I couldn't learn, you know, tying eggs and you know bully buggers and stuff like that. So, yep. um, his name was Jason Gregory. I went to high school with him. You know, we uh, we used to skip school and fish all the time. And uh, <laughs> good. It's amazing how you learn in the beginning, you know. And I think everybody uh, tries to hide the fact that they, you know, probably had a similar start. You know, they either made a mistake or they did something or they accidentally found fly fishing and, you know, it turned into something for them. And, uh, you know, that's that's my story. I can't change it. That's just the way it happened, you know. I think it's pretty cool, and I think, you know, and I think your background, I'm not sure, you're a police officer, right? Are you still, are you still doing that? I still am, um... I was up to, uh, I was the assistant chief for a while. Um, I'd worked, you know, for, for multiple agencies and, you know, my heart was always in, uh, one small town in in Ohio, uh, village of Wayne in Wood County. And, um, I worked there for a long time and I uh, was some really good people and a really good community. Um, just as, uh, you know, just as you, as you move on, you know, Life, everything else, I just, uh, it came to the point where it's, uh, I was the assistant chief and 
I step up into another role or uh, I back off and uh, pursue other yep. other aspirations. And uh, I, I did just that. I, uh, I, I, I backed off and now I just uh, I help with the training and uh, I keep up on my training and uh, I'm there when they need me. But uh, that's cool. I'm not a uh, not a patrol. I'm not not on patrol. I'm not really uh, an officer by standards of what you see guys today. So that's great. Uh, no, I, and I and I brought that up. I've I've had a few police officers on. One of the what I always think about is Dean Fitterty. He's a big guy. Uh, he well, he was a guide, and he told this story out of nowhere about how he used to dress up in disguises. He was undercover. It was really hilarious. Um, it's you know, all, all the backgrounds and then, but for this, I think it collide, right? I think of like this, you, you, the early on got caught stealing this really cool. Did you ever in your career think of like Clyde, that whole thing, you know, because you, you know, you were kind of, as you're going through, I, I'm just trying to get, get a feel for what, what it's like, you know, being a police officer. Oh, I, I mean, you know, it's funny is I really never, I never correlated the two. Um, you know, I didn't, you know, early on, I, I never, I had no aspirations to to be a to be a police officer. I had no aspirations to be a fishing guide. Hmm. Um, I didn't want any. I, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't grow up or or think that those are things that I was going to do. Um, they just happened that way. Um, I, and this might sound weird to some of you, but you know. You know how you realize like there, there's only a couple things in life that you're like really good at. Yep. And uh, it's like once you find those things, you decide to do those things. Okay. That's that's what this all was for me. Like uh, I you know I couldn't play sports anymore once I was out of college, right? So like, yeah. Being a police officer was like kind of you know, back then it kind of felt like I was playing a sport, you know, like there was a whole lot going on. You're interacting with people. You're, you're constantly active. Um, you know, if you look at the pictures online today, I mean, a lot of us look fat, but you know, <laughs> guess what? I'll tell you right now. Um, we could still, uh, we could still run you down if we need to, oh, yeah. but uh, can't outrun a radio. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's just a, it's just a product of the job. You know, there's just, you know, there's, it's just like, uh, it's just like fishing. It's like, there's the excitement, there's the suspense, there's the, the sadness. Okay. There's, uh, it has all of those emotions, you know, those are being a fishing guide and being, uh, being a police officer, very similar. I thought it was harder to be a fishing guide than it was a police officer. At least yeah. when I was a police officer, I had a set of rules I knew I had to follow. Um, not only that, you're, you're, you know, like the oath that we take, you know, I, I took it really serious. Like I was there to help people. It wasn't, uh, wasn't one of those jobs where like I was going out to try to make somebody's life miserable. Like mm-hmm. you have to be there for the person's worst time. Maybe, um, you know, you don't need to make it any harder. And, and not only that, you, you know, you carry it. Um, I, I'm a small town cop, uh, you know, otherwise a country cop, mm-hmm. you know, I, I put a chew in, you know, I made sure my uniform was clean. I, I washed my own car. Um, even when we were, were senior officers and, and command officers, we, we still worked the road. Um, our backup was a little further away than, than that of a city cop. Okay. So you became pretty self-dependent and, uh, you know, it was just a different atmosphere. So, you know, I think you treat things different, you know, we're, uh, where city officers, those guys, I, I truly feel for them. 
Like it's, it's nonstop. It's a ton of stress. Um, they do have help, um, because there's a lot more officers, but like the amount of stuff that they have to deal with on a daily basis. Um, I don't know if I would be built for that, you know, being honest, um, being truthful. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a lot of respect for those guys because it, it's maybe a job today. I would not, if I had to do this job starting over today, I could not do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's definitely changed. It's interesting. Yeah. That's though. Thanks for giving us a little perspective on that. It's always interesting to me because for the police, I grew up, my dad was, you know, a good guy and everything, but he always had this negative annotation around the police. And I think it was mainly because he always had a beer or something. He was drinking in the car, you know, while he's going on, on a fishing trip. But, um, you know, as I got older, I kind of had that negative for a little bit. You know what I mean? Like I was always, but then, you know, you get to some point you realize you're like, man, we need more police officers. Like, like the more police officers, you know, the better. And it's just like, so I, I grew know. up police, Dave. Yeah. Dave, when we were little kids, we feared the police, not because the police did anything. They were the police. I mean, there were these big dudes with, with a gun, you know, running around town, like, you feared them because you didn't want to do anything wrong, okay? And I'll tell you right now, there's not one teenage boy in America that's not going to break the law, yep. okay? I mean, I'm yep. just let's be upfront. Like I was that kid. I think that's what made me a uh, a good police officer was like I was not an innocent kid, and I didn't tell myself I was. You know, I uh, I did stupid things. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably made a few police officers and residents' lives miserable, okay? <laughs> um, those are, you know, those are the truth. I, I kind of chuckle every time I see somebody like, oh, yeah, these small-town local police, they're they're not real police. They're not, like, come on. Yeah. Like, you were probably that little shithead that was feeling <laughs> uh, candy like the rest of us, you know what I mean? So, you yeah. know, don't, don't, don't pretend that, that you weren't. No, you know, no. what's your, uh, what, what do you chew? Are you still chewing? Yeah, I still chew. I can't, uh, I quit smoking a long time ago. Yeah. You know, when we had, uh, when we had my first son, you know, smoking wasn't something my wife was going to allow anymore. Just being truthful. See, that's where it is right yeah. there. My wife was like, there will be no more smoking. And, uh, awesome. so Man, I'll tell you what, I still crave cigarettes today and I haven't probably had a cigarette in 15 years. How'd you, how'd you quit? What was the, take us to that point. Just cold turkey. You just quit one day. You're just like, I'm just done. Well, no, it wasn't like that. And my wife told me if I catch you smoking, like there's a problem, right? So, you know, the old saying, right? Happy wife, happy life. I I had the same ultimatum, man. Mine was actually chewing because I chewed, you know, Copenhagen for years. compromise like back then you know i was uh working all day at the pd sleeping for a couple hours driving back home and guiding so i'd work nights guide by day and i did that for like seven straight years yeah just a couple hours of sleep a couple times and like i prayed for high water and a day off Uh, have you do you know dean finnerty have you heard of him uh, I, I honestly, I can't say I do. Yeah. It's interesting. He's a, uh, it's funny because, you know, um, you know, you're obviously out in the you know the other side of the country and he's out West and he actually works for TU now, but he was a big guide on the, like the North Umqua. And he told that exact same story, just like you said, 
he was a daytimes doing his stuff with the police and then he would go take a nap on the river and get ready to take his clients out <clears throat> and uh, yeah did, you know so it's i guess probably more common than you think i mean as far as uh you know doing it on your side doing it on the side right yeah i mean you know and it, it's and I, I mean, I will say, I think it's common amongst my generation of guides, like my time. Um, I really don't think like, you know, you hear it all the time or people like I'm hustling or I'm busy or I'm doing this. And it's like, I, I really truly don't think that a lot of guides today understand what busy means. They really don't, you know. A lot of them are just guides. Like, there's a lot of us, though, and I know we, we used to get that little mantra, like, oh, they're part-time guides. They're not real guides. You know, they're not they're not in the grind every day. It's like, come on. Don't, don't fault me for having an education, having a career, yep. and then at the same time being able to put in a full schedule. So there are a lot of guys. I guarantee it. Your, your, your uh, example, Dean, is exactly what I'm talking about that we went into overdrive. We we put such a hustle on and then don't forget we were answering all our own phone calls, all our own emails, doing all of our own advertisement, still going to shows, still doing talks, doing podcasts. I mean, you name it. And that's all within a full-time job, a full-time guide job and a full-time family. So, you know, I look at like today's generation of guides and i'm not downplaying that they don't work hard but i'm just saying i think the work hard is a lot different and you still see those guys today there still is like a core element of guys that you'll see that are literally just hustlers this Mm -hmm. is what they do so you know so anytime somebody says to me like i'm too busy to do something with you yeah or take your phone call it's like i hate to say it i'm just gonna say it this way fuck you (laughs) don't know what fucking busy is i know no i hear you i think i wondered about that too because i've talked to now you know hundreds and hundreds of people just setting up this podcast and stuff and you know and and i've had you know some that haven't really given me the time of day not many sometimes you got to work a little harder on it and and stuff like that but you feel like sometimes yeah there's people that you know maybe aren't aren't uh, as open to the to the talk i mean what are you you're an insider i mean right you're you're in that space over there where you know i mean do you feel like i mean definitely most of the people are kind of will give you some time to talk about give you some tips and stuff like that yeah i mean dave if we're going to be like straightforward like like am i like i'm not uh i'm an i might be an insider for fly tying okay yeah oh like i've had some great opportunities and I met some wonderful people, you know, over the years that have given me opportunities based on hard work and, you know, putting the effort in. Okay. You know, and that's, that's what this comes down to. Like, you know, you talked about laser dub and some of those things, you know, laser dub, you know, like the idea laser dub was we had an older gentleman from my home area. His name was Ed Bordis. And he had a material that was called laser yarn, okay? And if you want to go through the Wayback Machine, like, we see all these new materials that come out today that just wow us, right? Like, we're like, oh, my God, check how cool this is. This is fantastic. Well, his laser yarn was that of, like, my youth, Hmm. okay? And Ed died. 
And when Ed died, the machine died, and everything about it died with him. And I still have a crap ton of his original material. I won't hmm. even tie with it. I won't. Like, I'm afraid, like, every time I tie with it and every little piece I lose, I lose a piece of that. Well, I, Laser Dub was creating a synthetic version and maybe a modern version to, to give thanks and, and as a tribute to Ed and to like all the steelhead that people caught on Ed stuff. And, you know, it kept the laser alive. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I got to, I, I, it's, it's my own synthetic blend and it's my, my thought, but like, it's the originality behind it is to pay tribute. And, uh, that that's the God's honest truth with it. That's and it. You know what? It it became very popular. It's it's. I still see it. You know, guys still tying really cool stuff with with laser dub all this time later. And that was the material that kind of gave me a a, a catapult to, hmm. with its success to work on other stuff like you see Predator Rap or you know the different chenilles, um, the different brush designs. You know, this is all stuff that, like, I was very lucky and appreciative to be able to work with Hairline, which would supply me with a lot of different things to be creative with, okay? And if uh, if they didn't do that, then we might not have some of this stuff. Yeah. You know, so, like, me sitting here and be like, yeah, I did this or I did that, like, it's not, that's not it, Dave. Mm-hmm. It's it's being given the right tools and then looking at your fishery and like making things that complement what not only like what I want to do, but like what works for the fishery, what will work for a species and, and find and make materials that, uh, have functionality and they work, not just look pretty. They work. Yeah, exactly. And I want to dig into that, uh, you know, some of the, some of the tips and stuff on steelhead and in and, and that area you're in. Um, but just before we get there, I want to note that on the hairline and, and the laser dub, because it's interesting. I think, um, you know, hairlines out in our neck of the woods and I've talked to Marcos. I was going to have him on the show and then I think he got really busy. So I'm still hopeful that we can hear the, the hairline story. Um, but how did that come to be? I mean, how, how do you connect with hairline? You're over there and, and well, you can, yeah, I was, uh, I was a contract hire for the Orvis company. And uh, I worked closely with uh, Sean Brillen, uh, which at the time he was uh, in charge of like the fly program and materials and stuff like that over there. And uh, I had actually made samples of laser dub and sent them to Sean. And uh, Sean was like, I've, you know, I've got to get you guys connected. So I was introduced through uh, through Sean and the Orvis company to Hairline and um, Marcos, if you ask me, there's not a man on the planet that has more material information stored in his brain than Marco. <laughs> okay, um, not only that, there's he's got a charisma that that I just I love about him. He's not he's a straight shooter. He's honest. And, uh, anytime I have ideas or I need to drop something off of him, he, he doesn't just give you the creative thought that he has behind it, but like 
he also knows everything else, the manufacturing aspect, um, the distribution aspect, the whole business side of it. So he was able to like, just enlighten me. Hmm. I, I think that's the best way to say this. He was able to enlighten me on like what it really takes to design and bring out something and bring it to market and like what all key elements you need to be able to do it. And, uh, it, number one, is it worth doing it? Number two, it is cool, but like, is it just cool or is it actually going to work? Um, you know, I hope to get them on the podcast because I think, I think the fly tying community would benefit greatly from, from hearing him talk about everything. That's cool. Yeah. The fly. That's good to hear. And I might have to hit you up. I think he's, uh, yeah, he's definitely one of the harder guys over the, you know, uh, over the years. So yeah, we, we will all work on it a little bit, but, um, yeah, well, let's jump into it because I think a lot of people would probably start throwing things at the, uh, at the, uh, <laughs> you know, well, I guess there's not a screen here, but they'd be getting mad at me if we didn't jump into some steelhead fishing. Um, cool. so, so steelhead alley, it, it's a, a name that, uh, I think probably everybody's heard about it. It sounds like this epic place. Can you describe uh, Steelhead Alley, what it's all about to somebody who's never been there? Yeah, so Steelhead Alley pretty much was coined Steelhead Alley by Jerry Kustich. Um, early 90s, he did an article in Fly Fisherman Magazine, you know. And back, so think of Steelhead Alley the easiest way, like Pennsylvania. Let me just, I mean, Steelhead Alley is pretty broad. I mean, it could go... Depending on who you are, you know, you could say that Steelhead Alley starts in Buffalo and goes all the way to the end of Cleveland, okay, or Vermilion River, okay? Some guys will extend that into the, you know, to to Michigan, um, the lower part of Lake Erie, okay? Um, I like to just make it simple and let's just, let's just say Ohio or uh, let's just say Cleveland to Buffalo, okay? Yep. So... These are primarily spate rivers, okay? And so spate means, you know, more or less they're water dependent. Um, all these tributaries need some form of, per, you know, per, uh, let me uh, let me see if I can, need some kind of water, rainfall, yeah. snow melt, um, to be able to, as you could tell, like my third cup of coffee, I couldn't say the word that I wanted to yeah. say. <laughs> I know, that's right. You get past that point, the coffee. I'm, I'm, with, <laughs> I'm with you. Oh, I love it. It's real. But uh, <laughs> they need they need water and they need flow. Okay. So like most of them are shale. There's gravel. You know, everybody thinks of this as the rust belt over here because of all of the uh, – manufacturing from cleveland through erie into buffalo you know back in the heyday and uh the truth is that's that's sort of there but these are also pretty pristine and wild looking place to go fishing and it's not over intimidating like none of the rivers here are are too big that you can't cross them um they are uh, walking wade friendly okay um if you're willing to go there's plenty of places you can walk to you know, I, I know that over the years there's been a lot of debate over like what's what's the right of ways to the rivers, what's public, what's private. You know, it's very simple. Just follow the signs. <laughs> um, there's a ton of maps out there um, where you can go and where you can't go. I mean, there really is no more secrets here. 
okay? Steelhead Alley probably gets more anglers per year than they. I would equal it to what happens out west, you know, yeah. during the during the trout season. You know, when all the guys travel out there to catch trout, you know, catch trout on dry flies, it's 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 the same thing. Okay, Um, there's really no uh, no place to hide. There's going to be a lot of people, but there's a crap ton of fish. (laughs) And, uh, you know, if you're an early riser or you're a hard worker, you're going to catch them. Okay, Uh, I just, you know, I always tell guys when you come to Steelhead Alley, just pack a pair of waders, dress for dress for the weather. You could bring your trout box. You could bring a box of nymphs, molly buggers, and do just as well as you do with anything else. Okay, uh, you don't need any special technical gear. Um, we overcomplicate things, or let me rephrase that: we don't overcomplicate them. What we do is we choose methods that we like. Okay. Yeah. Um, why do archers shoot traditional bow still? Because they want the challenge, right? You know, there is yep. modern equipment that they can use, but they they still, they love that struggle, right? I think our fishing's the same way. So these are, these waters are friendly for everything, and there's a lot of fish. So you want to strip a streamer? Come, strip a streamer. If you want to swing a fly, look at the flows. If you got good flows, bring a, bring a swing rod, bring a switch rod. Um, you can always throw an indicator every day, okay? So... It's, uh, I think that's what makes the place so busy and so popular is, uh, depending, it doesn't matter if you're like just starting out in fly fishing or if you're advanced, um, everybody has an opportunity to catch a fish there. And I think that's why we've always done good as a guide service and stuff because it's, uh, it's very user-friendly. So like somebody that's brand new to steelhead fishing I highly recommend they would go to Pennsylvania or Ohio to catch a steelhead because they're actually going to catch a steelhead. Yep. No, that's awesome. And and as far as the uh, techniques for steelhead, you mentioned a few stripping streamers, swinging flies, and, and indicators. Are there any other types of techniques, if you had to say broadly, just generally how people fish out there that you would add to that list? Or is that pretty um, much it? I mean, I mean, it is 2020. So yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure somebody's over, you know, or uh, I'm sure there's some new. I mean, I've seen everything from uh, Tinkaro to or oh, yeah, Tinkara guys are Tinkara fishing. Um, I'm sure some guys are Euro nymphing. Um, guys are fishing beads. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I think it's to each his own. Okay, yeah. you know, like there's, I think there's a core group of people for pretty much any kind of tactic you want to use at them. You know what I mean? Like I said, you know, we're looking at a small, small streams with numbers of fish. Okay. So it's, uh, like I said, if you're an early riser, you can get out there and get a couple of spots that you want. You're going to do well. You're going to have a shot. You're going to catch fish. Well, let's take it to, I don't know if we want to talk about, um, Elk Creek or maybe a stream, you know, in Ohio or something to focus on. But if you're going to go there, you know, um, for steelhead fishing like today or whenever the hot spot is, you know, how would you, what technique, how would you catch the fish there to break us, break that down a little bit? I mean, if I, I mean, so you're saying like, if I was just going to go personal fishing today? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, maybe talk about, is there a big difference between that versus what you'd be doing guiding? Yeah. I mean, when you're guiding, I mean, your emphasis is more or less to like, you know, you have a customer that's 
paying you for your expertise. You know, you should be focused on whatever the easiest tactic is to make them successful. And, you know, once they have a little bit of success, then you can change it into whatever you need it to do, unless they specify otherwise, you know, and if they specify they want to go swing for a steelhead, then, you know, obviously you're going to go to a different section of a river than you would, um, maybe interfishing or, you know what I mean? So, I mean, those kind of things change how you approach it. If I was personal fishing, I would be probably just wanting to swing a fly. And the reason is, is it's mellow. Like I'm there to chill out. I mean, I've been steelhead fishing since I was a kid. I've probably caught how many thousands of these things, okay? I don't really need to catch 10,000 more to be happy. I just need to enjoy the river, catch a couple of fish if I can, and enjoy my day. Like, there's no – it's not a Super Bowl anymore, okay? <laughs> it's uh, – I'm not out there to to win a prize. Uh, I'm not taking 40 pitchers for the gram, okay? You know, I want to catch a nice fish. You know, but do I want to get a nice pitcher or something? Sure. Um, but that's it. I want to simplify it. Yeah. I want to get back to enjoying it. You know what I mean? And that's the thing. That's why I don't guide anymore. You know, it's, uh, you know, guiding, you're, you've got an, an objective and, you know, and I miss the people. I do miss a lot of the people I fished with. Okay. But it is still, there's that stressor in fishing to be successful. Right. So oh, yeah. when I go personal fishing, I don't have any illusion of being successful. I just want to go and go fishing. Um, yep. and I still catch fish. I still use the right tactics. I still go out and have a good time. You know, like I said, it's just, I, I'm not doing it for, uh, I'm not doing an interview afterward. You no, know what I mean? No, like, no. <laughs> I was on the river and I caught six fish and look at me. Like I yeah. just, like, I, I could care. I could give two shits now. Like if, uh, I, you know, yeah. you got to think about this a little bit too, Dave. Like how many times do you go fishing this year? Uh, so like total. Yeah. Like, I mean, you don't have to give me an exact answer, but like, you know, if you went fishing a couple dozen times this year, Dave, like, could you, could you imagine like what what would it be like if we had to stop and take pictures the whole time? Oh yeah. Or you had to do this, or you had to, yeah. you, you know, like think about. It. I mean, you're running a podcast too. Like, you know, it gets to a point where it's like, yeah, I got to have material, right? Yeah. You know, like for me, fishing it became all that, and yeah. and it became less about just uh, enjoying the river. You know, it's funny is like the whole world thinks like, oh, you know, he must not catch fish anymore, <laughs> like. That's not the case. I just don't really, you know, do I really need to tell you or show you, you know, is that what success is driven off of? Personal success is driven off of what other people think, you know, and that, that really bugs me. I think that's where we are today. The social media stuff, right? That, that's a yeah. big, big push on it. And listen, I am pro social media. I a hundred percent think we need strong social media for business. Um, strong social media for, for, you know, if you're running a company and stuff like that. Okay. Um, if you do work in the fishing industry, it is smart to have strong social media. Okay. Um, you could still have strong social media though, and still go fishing a day and not tell anybody and the world's not going to end. Yep. You know, and that's, 
you know, like kind of the approach that I take, and I'll be honest with you, I have a whole lot sh- less stress worrying about it. A whole lot less stress. Yeah. Think about it. Back when I started fishing, we didn't, you know, we didn't have, uh, we didn't have iPhones. Uh, Facebook wasn't even a wet dream yet. Okay. And, uh, the only ones that knew you caught anything were what? Maybe your dad and maybe a couple of buddies, right? Yep. Didn't change the experience, did it? Nope. Yeah. That's, you know, I'm starting to realize that stuff now, you know, now that I have two kids of my own, um, you uh, add COVID and all the other stuff. Now these kids are trapped at home, yeah. stuck in front of devices. And, you know, yep. my kids are going to have the technical skills moving forward, but they're not going to have any uh, yeah, no. personal skills. And that really bugs me. Okay. So yep. how do you set a better example? And that's, that's where I am with this, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I, <clears throat> I think, um, you know, you mentioned there, um, just at the start, the, the tactic, uh, tactics and things like that, as far as fishing, I, it's interesting. Cause obviously, you know, we've talked a lot about swinging flies we have, I've had a bunch of guests, but I think it might be interesting just to hear if you'd be willing, even though you, maybe you're not guiding now, but just talking about the, the, I don't know if it's the indicator thing or the nymphing thing. I mean, what, what was your thing when you were guiding? Can you break down just a quickly what, what that looked like, sure. what, what the guys were doing? So, I mean, if, if, it, early on, I mean, and it really depends. So I'll just say it this way. So that way, um, anybody listening will understand. So like, if you came on a guide trip with me, usually one of my first questions are like, what, what do you expect in your day? What do you want to do? Okay. And I give them their options. Like, you know, I'll tell them like, you know, we can go into indicator fishing, which is all I'm going to do is like our rivers are shallow enough. I can buy a standard nine foot three X, two X liter. Okay run a two egg fly or, you know, st- small streamer, woolly bugger, nymph, egg combination and have an indicator set up that I can slide it for the depth of the river. Okay. Which there's plenty of options for, you can run them in line, you can run yarn. Um, I just ran a big cork or, you know, um, foam indicator, mm-hmm. preferably all white and all white for the reason is, is all the bubble lines, all the bubbles are white. Okay. And it's easy to see if you get low clear water, that big orange indicator isn't spooking things. So, you know, that's, it was a very basic and rudimentary system, but it, it was effective. Um, I think guys would screw up more on how thick their tippet was versus how long their leader was. Um, and you know, fly design, you know, like, Got to know when to get flashy and when to not be flashy, right? And I think that all comes from how much time you spend on the river, how much you do it, right? Um, there's a reason why the Prince Nymph has caught so many fish around the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, you know, those are things as like as a as a guide or a fly tire. Those are things that take note of. Okay, like wow, you know, if that works that way, they, how do I incorporate that into what I like to do, right? Yep. So indicator rigs are very, very, like I said, it's basic. You can, anybody can go throw a couple, you know, split shot, obviously to how deep the water is. Okay. And I used uh, blackbird, which is like a center pinner, you know, shot because it's dark and it's round, you know, kind of matched in with the scenery instead of that bright tin colored mm. water ground and stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
Um, I just tried to dull it down as much as possible. So, like I said, just a standard nine-foot leader, two flies, tip it, uh, a white indicator, uh, preferably foam or cork, and uh, some some split shot, and uh, you're in the game. Uh, and like I said, you could bring your your trout box at that point. You know, <laughs> simple woolly buggers, San Juan worms, egg flies, prince nymphs, pheasant tails, hares ears. All successful, all successful fly patterns, um, day one. Okay. Um, if I was gonna, if I got a guy that wants to strip streamers, okay. So, I mean, let's face it, you, you've seen what's going on in the world. They're, like the streamer game is pretty impressive right now, yep. right? Yep. Um, there's some amazing streamers today. I mean, uh, some, some people that I take note of and I like to fish their patterns is, uh, like Blaine Chocolate's, uh, Game Changers. Okay. Um, Kelly Gallup, big fan of Kelly Gallup stuff. Um, all that stuff is crossover. Like you can fish all that stuff for steelhead. Hmm. Okay. Our steelhead are pretty ravenous, you know, and not only that, they school up and they're on these drop offs. There's a lot of wood and debris in certain sections of the river. Um, you, you just got to learn what size and what kind of material combinations. Like sometimes you want to run a fly that's got materials that will sink or some weight in the fly. So that way you can still use a floating line and a shorter leader because the water's shallow. You don't want to hook the, hook the shale, but you want some depth, right? But then you have some bigger holes and more CFS with feet per second, you know, flow of the river. Um, where you need to use an intermediate or sinking line, and then you can use said fly pattern there as well, hmm. okay? So it just really depends on – I mean, this is what you hire a guide for, right? So that he understands the different uh, the different structure and scenarios you're going to face on a river. Um, most clients that I ever fished with, like, they hired me to learn first and foremost, you know, they're not going to hire. There are guys that hire guides every year. I know I had a lot of them, but I also had guys that they, they only, the only reason they hire guys to go have that bonus crazy good day. And then they go fish two, three days on their own. And they want to have some Intel to be able to do that. Exactly. Like what, what flies are working? How should I be rigging for this? Right. Yep. yep. So, and I think, I think that's what makes like guides valuable is, uh, they're they're instructors you know you know could you imagine you know i i hear it all the time so guys will talk about oh they hate fishing guides right <laughs> like good anglers let's talk about guys that are out fishing good anglers well like if you take an area like steelhead alley that's got 25 states represented with people that have never been there before and they all hit the river i mean guides have actually done a great job of educating showing the etiquette and the tactics and things that are needed that all these people can fish together. You know, exactly. if they didn't, if they didn't know, they'd be, they'd be standing on top of each other, you know, probably see a whole lot more punches on the river. Exactly. I was just going to say, it's kind of like you said before, it's like the police officer and the guide. There's a lot of similarities. There, Very. Isn't there? Yes. It's a ton. You know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, like, I, I don't think, and I mean, I'm guilty of this too. I never looked at the forward consequences for, for some, for some things, you know, I just, you know, I got irritated that, you know, this guy beat me to the river or this guy's doing that, which it's like, it does, it doesn't matter. Like everybody plays a role. Um, and, yeah. and like you have to be smart enough to see it 
and I don't think a lot of times people don't care. I mean, I think we're at that stage, especially now. I mean, look what's going on in the world. Like, people are pretty selfish. They, they, it's, it's doggy dog. Like, they don't care. Like, I'm fishing that hole, and I don't, I drove three and a half hours to get here. I'm fishing it no matter what. And it's like, dude, just sit on the bank, chill out for 10 minutes, you know? Yeah. How has that been when you think of it? Because, you know, there's plenty of places where you think, you know, combat fishing around the country. I mean, was it if you look back in the day when you first got started versus today, is there a lot of differences there as far as, I mean, is it still, or was it combat then and is it still combat now? I mean, I mean, I, I think every day on Steelhead Alley has um, a little bit of combat in it, okay? Um, but I also think, like, if you just stay on the move and you stay focused— you're, you're going to find what you want. Um, I just, there is enough people fishing and there's enough places to go that, that you're always going to run into someone, but at the same token, you're still going to find some solitude during that day too. So I think you have a little bit of everything rolled up into your day. Okay. And uh, I do think people are a lot better, you know, about how they treat each day. You know, the, the ones that are, they're go-getters, they're anglers. They do fine. You're never going to see them struggle. Yeah. They're going to work through and they're, they're going to catch well. It's, 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 it's lazy. That's not gonna, that's not going to do well. Okay. That's going to get confrontational or, or entitled. Like I, I'm entitled to this, you know, right. you, know you know, I mean, I know I was that guy. I, you know, I'm not going to sit there. I was young. I was like, I'm entitled to this. This is what I, you know, you have to come back to the realization that, you know, none of us have a right to go fishing. Like, it's actually a privilege that we're allowed to do it. We have to buy a license to do it. It's a privilege. Right. It's just like a driver's license. We don't have the right to drive. We've been granted the privilege of driving, which I know that sounds crazy, right? Hmm. It does. It's, it's America, right? It's the United States of America. But think about it. Can your license be taken away from you? Yeah. Yeah, it's a privilege. Yeah. So every day... Now, any, anything I do in the outdoors, I treat it as a privilege. I go out and I do, I do my thing. And if it's, if it's crowded and I don't like it or I have an issue, I just, I move on. Yeah. I'm the next thing. And that's, that's, that's any fishing now. You know, I don't think you, I mean, steelhead's popular, you know, great lake steelheading is, is, is it the most popular thing out there? I mean, if you look at our side of the world, I mean, think about where we are. Okay. So look at the Great Lakes. We we are a metropolitan. Like how many major cities are located within the Great Lakes yeah, or amazing. within driving distance of the Great Lakes? Okay. So you can't sit here and tell me that that we don't see pre, you know we see probably as great a pressure as uh, the West gets oh, yeah. for what three months a year, right? Yeah. We get it for you know six months a year. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, for me, like if you want to, you know, if you're a hardcore angler and you want to fish, like the time to fish our water now, and if you want to have it to yourself is you want to go and nobody else wants to go. You got to go when the water's a little higher, a little muddier, a little dirtier. You got to go when it's a lot colder. And then, you know, like that's me. I, I, uh, I don't even waste my time in this early season, the fall anymore. Hmm. I, 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 I'm not fishing for steelhead in September, October or November anymore. Hmm. Period. Not only that, you know, I, um, 
I'd become a solitary creature. I, uh, I'd rather sit in a tree stand and fight with myself than fight with somebody else. Okay. Um, you know, get my own peace of mind, but come December, January, February, it's cold. <laughs> I mean, I hear all guys talk about winter steelheading on the West coast. I went there. It rains. It's 55 <laughs> degrees. It's, uh, yeah. What's a nasty day there on your Hope River? What, what's a, what's yeah, the it nastiest? Could 20, it could be 20 degrees. Like you pounding ice off the river just to fish a run. Your gear freezing, you know, your fly frozen on the way to uh, the next hole. Got to put it back in the water, just unfreeze it. And I'm talking about walking, you know, half a mile through the woods and two to three feet of snow just to get there. Okay. I mean, when I think of winter steelheading, I, I look at, michigan great lakes anglers i look at ohio great lakes anglers i look at pennsylvania great lakes anglers those got new york we're in the snow belt we're in the some crazy cold temperatures and these guys are out there and waiters standing in water that is uh yeah. now i will say you guys on the west coast like i went and spent some time on the olympic peninsula yeah and about lost my mind with the amount of rain i i i, I literally learned that no raincoat is impervious to to the Olympic Peninsula's rain. I got <laughs> rained on so hard. It, it blew yeah. my mind. Mentally challenging in its own right. You need pretty much rubber when you get out to the... Yeah, but I wasn't frozen. That's yeah. what I'm saying, Dave. I, was, I wasn't frozen to my core, questioning what the hell I'm doing for a steelhead. You know, and people, you know, people used to say, oh, these steelhead won't eat when it gets to this. They won't chase a swung fly when the water is so cold. Horse shit. Hmm. You just got to slow down, slow your presentation down. Yeah. They, they want to eat just like anything else. Okay. I think everything acclimates after time, you know, so that's, uh, that's when I like to go, Dave. That's, yeah. that's time when, uh. That's perfect. And if I see two other guys on the river, it's usually the the, the most excellent conversation you're ever going to have because you're both numb, and you're both looking at each other like you're crazy sons of bitches for being out exactly. there. Exactly, you're a crazy you're a crazy steelhead fish. I love that you said uh, the the op because uh, Trevor Kovich was on and he actually broke down. He talked about the fact that the same thing. He the the op's getting pretty busy too, so he fishes when it's higher water. He likes to go those times when it's yeah. a little bit higher, a little bit and off that's, color. Uh, that's one of the gentlemen I fished with when I was out there. Oh, Trevor cool. is is uh, he's probably he's probably in my mind like one of the best swung fly guides in the country. That's awesome. That dude is rock solid. So, but yeah, I'm just saying though, yeah. you know that rain out there, the stuff that they have to deal with. Um, I understand the, the, the blowouts and the cancellations and the craziness. Like I'm not downplaying that they don't have bad weather and harsh conditions. I'm just saying the, the, what I picture as winter steelhead is rain your way. Okay. And like my way is like your, your waiters could stand up on their own. It's yeah. so cold when yeah. you're done. So it's just a different, different perspective. Um, different fisheries that. They, but but I think everybody has the same goal, and that's to to hold the brightest steelhead they can at the end of the day, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's it. Just to get a chance at a fish is the goal. Um, and we talked, uh, you know, a little bit about you mentioned streamers. Do you have? I'm not sure on your fly patterns. Are, are you? Do you have some fly patterns that you're? Uh, you, I don't know if you have anything for streamers or that you're tying, or is it mainly you focus on the material side? I mean, I, I've designed enough flies over over the course of, you know, 
I guess, guiding and fishing. Um, but a lot of them are, uh, you know, you take the bits, bits and pieces of, of what's out there. And I think, you know, this has always been a tough question for me, Dave, is, you know, guys will talk about developing flies, right? Developing flies. And like every year I, I, I find a new book, you know, or some way back machine that's like, holy shit. Like there are people in the fifties that had this idea. Yeah. Um, I think, I think, I think we take the best bits and pieces from all of our favorite fly tires and people over history. And we create things in our image. Is that, is that fair? And I'm not taking anything away from like what people are tying, but yeah, there's a few patterns that like, I think, they speak to me and my personality, uh, the, the artificial intelligence. Okay. Which, uh, you know, incorporates, uh, I watched Kevin Feenstra. Um, he ties probably with more flash than any person I've ever met. And he's probably one of the more effective match the hatch bait fish expert steelheaders out there. Okay. Um, I've, I've incorporated, stuff just watching him um um i i maybe i'm just saying i I have a hard time taking credit for 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 fly pattern development okay um i have some flies that have have my name the ai uh the artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. um egg grader i have some things that are specific to my personality um but the materials that i do to put in them you know, those are those are my thoughts and collaborations with Hairline. Yeah, and I'm I'm su- I get more pleasure out of seeing people tie with the materials and finding new concepts and ideas than I do worrying about putting a name on a fly. Yep. No, it's great. I love that. And and on on the streamer stuff. So uh, you know, stripping streamers. Do you do a little bit of that? Can you can you speak to the you know what that's yeah. all about? Are guys doing? Is there more? I know there's more and more swing guys swinging, but is there more guys stripping flies as well? Well, I mean, swinging, especially in my area, you know that that picked up strong, probably 15, 15 years ago. I mean, like we we all had the West Coast bug. We all wanted to swing big, gaudy, flashy, fun streamers and spay flies. They, I mean, I mean, let's face it. You know, when Ed Ward and Jerry French did the uh, Intruder, yeah, it, it totally changed Great Lakes fishing. Like we all wanted to fish intruders, every one of us. Okay, so, but now, like, you know, like streamers are hot. I mean, and you've got some really good ones like paving the way. You've got uh, Russ Madden doing the, the the chromatic nuts and the flash monkeys and like stuff that is created to catch steelhead, you know, salmon, trout on a on a stripped fly. Okay, you've got uh, the game changer platform with Blaine. Um, there are guys out. It is an exciting thing to do to go out there to a small stream and strip a streamer and have a steelhead eat. So yes, our guys doing it. Yeah. The smart ones are going out there and they're figuring it out and they're getting it done. And they're finding out that it's just, they can have just as successful of a day doing that as uh, swinging a fly or, or running an indicator. I Mm. think, uh, I think that's important part about this. The whole thing is uh, go out and do what makes you happy. So yeah. And it's easy. Um, 
I mean, just depending on where you're at, I mean, I think water depth and speed has a lot to do with what type of line and setup that you're going to use for something like this. But um, everything from a floater to an intermediate to a full sink with, you know, short fluorocarbon leaders, um, I think you just got to go out and do it. Swim flies are, are, uh, have shown themselves to be successful. And, uh, hmm. if you, uh, if you check out, I mean, there's, there's quite a bit of media out there with, uh, I noticed, uh, my old company, Steelhead Alley Outfitters, their, uh, their guides have been putting videos up of Steelhead eating, you know, game changers and, and you get to watch the whole visual take That's right cool. on video. Let's go. Cool. So, yeah. How, cool. how is the streamer stripping different than just, you know, like just swinging flies? Can you break, just talk a little bit about that? How for somebody who's never stripped streamers before, what, what that looks like? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a more active way to fish is the best way to put it. You're constantly moving, right? So when you, when you swing a fly, you're, you're, you're making a cast, you're, you know, swinging across the river, you're stripping in line at the end of your cast or the end of your drift. And then you're, you know, taking a couple steps down river or you're staying where you're at and you're casting again. Okay. You're looking for a fish to be active to chase the fly or swim behind the fly and eat it and come tight. And that's eating on the swing, right? Yep. It flies, you're using the river current as tension to swim, swim the fly across the river. Or when you're stripping a streamer, you're fishing like all water types. And what you're doing is you're casting and you're, you're stripping in line in different uh, erratic movements, you know, constantly the whole the whole drift, the whole cast, everything is movement. So you're you're completely active in in that process the entire time, and I think that's what's appealing. Is it's not like swinging a fly where it's a cast and a weight. Um, just like the indicator fishing, you're casting, you're putting it in the food lie, and you're waiting for the indicator to go underwater, right? So when you're when you're fishing streamers, you're you're casting, you're stripping, you're recasting, every you're you're visually watching your fly swim, okay? Because a lot of guys will use bright or white flies so that even a couple of feet deep underwater, you can still see the fly, okay? So it's just a visually and mm. physically, you're you're constantly moving with that, and I think that's very appealing to people. Yeah, yeah, it is. No, it's it's awesome. I love. Um... I think that's I probably somebody wanted to dig more into that. They could probably go, you know, I've had Kelly Gallup on. We could probably just go, and, and you mentioned Blaine. They could probably just look at those guys and see what they're doing for, like, uh, brown trout, right, and kind of move it over with, with different flies for steelhead. Would it be a similar deal, do you think? Yeah. I mean, I mean, all those guys are, are extremely well-versed. I mean, Kelly Gallup was a Michigan guy. That's right. Cal, Gallup's caught steelhead. Blaine's caught steelhead, Okay. Like these, these aren't, these guys have specialties and they're known for certain things, but their experience level far exceeds what their specialties are. Okay. Um, that's the great thing about having some of these guys around. Okay. Um, they have a lot to offer. You have a lot to learn from them. You know, we just, you just got to pay attention and see what they're doing. They're, they're not, they're not one dimensional. Okay. And, uh, I hear it all the time, you know, and I, and I used to be on this, you know, take, take, let's take Blaine's game changer, for example, like there are guys out there that literally won't tie the fly. They're like, why would I put that much time and effort and those components and that spend that kind of money to create this kind of, well, you know what, if you're thinking like that, like 
then don't do it. I don't care. I don't want to hear you gripe. Like, go do your own thing, right? Yep. You know, there. but there comes a time when there's a certain person that's like, you know, I, I need to try these things. You know, you know, think about, go back to your, I mean, when we were all young, we all fished spin gear, I would assume, right? I mean, I didn't grow yep. up with a flat rod, okay? Um, I didn't go to the store and not buy a Rapala, right? <laughs> you know, I fished spinner baits when I was, you know what I mean? I, yep. I did all these things. We've gotten to the point where we look at things like, well, that's not fly fishing. Well, I'm so tired of hearing that. I, I I really think people need to get back to being anglers. Yeah. A hundred percent. Let's get back to being anglers. Like you can shove your bullshit up your <laughs> ass. Don't fucking whine to somebody else. I don't give a shit. I I really think that social media has given us a, a, a you know, where like our opinion actually matters, right? Yeah. It don't. You know what I think it is? Uh I think I think what it is, and I've heard I I totally agree because Kelly Gallup has said it before himself. A lot of people have, um, and I think those are the people I'm realizing are almost maybe the most knowledgeable people are the ones that actually do do both ways. You know, Kelly talks about how his stuff came from bass fishing, and he loves, you know, and and I've heard that a number of times. And it seems like, but I think what it comes down to is that again, social media, like building, growing something, that ultra niche stuff sells. You know, if you're the ultra niched, this, you know, whatever topic it is, that sells better than if you're just the general, I'm just an angler. You know what I mean? I think that's part of it. So it's, it's almost, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, there's probably some of that, but you mentioned a couple of resources, Russ Madden. I've heard his name come up a number of times. So again, let's just bring it back to streamers who, if we we're talking streamers for steelhead is Russ or are there other people who would be good resources if they want to dig in more on this? I mean, there, there, there are some core streamer guys that, uh, that I think everybody should pay attention to. Um, you know, just cause they put a, a label on, it says brown trout. Okay. Um, I think if you're a fly tire, a legit fly tire. Okay. And I think that you're a legit angler and, and I don't mean that you're like pro, I'm just saying like you, you love this. Okay. There are some guys you need to pay attention to. Um, you've got, uh, obviously Kelly Gallup. Okay. You've got Russ Madden. You've got, um, Blaine chocolate. You've got rich Strollis. You've got Mike Schmidt. Um, and, and, and that's just uh, guys I'm thinking about for, for trout and steelhead. Yeah. You got Matt Grajewski. Okay. I mean, there are a lot of, in a lot of the names that I'm mentioning to you are great lakes guys. Or have Great Lakes backgrounds, okay? Um, mm-hmm. We have a lot of bayfish here. We have a, a we have everything here. We have trout here. We have steelhead here. We have salmon here. We have muskie here. We have pike here. We have bass here. <laughs> we have everything here, okay? So, you know, yeah, I put a lot of stock into to to the guys that fish the Great Lakes or or you know around the east that that do a lot of this because they're in it. They're they're this is their specialty. This is what they're good at. Um, but I think all this stuff is crossover stuff too. I, I think you can, you can take, you know, uh, what's the easiest way to say it. There's influence from all, all parts of the country, like saltwater fishing. A lot of the streamer patterns that we see for trout have saltwater influence. Uh, Tommy Lynch is an exceptional mm-hmm. type. 
Um, look at his uh, drunken disorderly that he <laughs> that catch brown trout. Now he's catching steelhead with it, right? It um, just shows you the adaptability. I've caught everything on that thing, you know, small from smallmouth to steelhead on that fly. Um, but they all have influence from some of the great, the older guys, you know, uh, let's, let's, the, the Mark Sadatis, okay. The, uh, uh, Bob Popovich. Okay. Like that, that, that hollow big fly original, you know, think about it. These are guys that had to cast giant flies for fish before we had the material base that you could build really cool giant flies. Right. That's right. They were doing it on subpar uh, equipment compared to what we have today. Okay, hmm. and uh, and I'm with you when you said that, like the niche, right? The niche yeah. stuff does really well. But I mean, like you you take great guides out there that have niche patterns. You know, Kelly's got niche patterns that that's you know mm-hmm. that I guarantee were originally. Guide patterns for him, uh, Mike Schultz uh, with the Swing and D series. That's a niche pattern that that he's uh, he's adopted like from multiple tires, from Sadati, from Blaine, you know, to create his own uh, swim fly for for smallmouth bass. Blaine with the Game Changer. I mean, yeah. all these guys have created things to fit their niches, but they are also like. It's not just limited to that. It, it can be used for everything they want to do. Yep. So I think, like I said, I think we all steal something from 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 each other. Okay. I think we, we have we learn from the guys in the south. We learn from the guys in the west. We learn from the guys in the north. You know, and oh, yeah. you know, and then they learn from the guys in the east as well. And yeah. uh, that's the one thing with social media that I will say is an incredible benefit to to everybody out there that wants to be or that wants to tie their own flies is uh back when i was doing this you had you created flies that maybe nobody's seen unless they went into a magazine publication or something for for years okay (laughs) where today i could tie it i could put it online and two thousand people four thousand people are gonna see it and be tying it by tomorrow yeah that's cool oh it's like our information sharing today is light worlds ahead of where it was even 15 years ago. So that's the benefit. That's the benefit of, of, uh, this whole media platform is, uh, information. Totally. Yeah, no, I agree. That's, that is the good thing. Seeing a new, uh, you know, a bright fish or, or, or just a fish or a new pattern is, is cool. Um, what, what about, you know, as far as, you know, you mentioned the materials again. I mean, I think the laser dub. Can you talk just briefly about some of the materials that you've worked with? Maybe talk about the process. Uh, laser dub maybe is the, the first one. I'm not sure if that was the first one you got going. But talk about another material that you've uh, created and what that process was like is it just kind of a conversation between you and marcos back and forth or how does that come to be i mean you know i i would think like hairline's the manufacturer so you know yeah is is some of that stuff personal absolutely so they're actually the man so they actually create they, yeah. they're making this thing that no, they're either making it or or sending it to be sourced or you know to be created a certain way. 
you know, and I feel like, do I have enough education on the background to, to say something and feel like I'm giving you accurate information? Yes. But at the same token, no, because I feel like, you know, it's part of this process that I was telling you, like we can all, we can all create something, um, you know, yeah. Um, every fly tire I know has been the Joann Fabrics and found something that they like, my, myself included. Okay. Um, but I'm just saying, like, when it comes to, I mean, there's certain things that you need to do. Like, should, you know, I'll put it to you this way some things get cut, some things get torn, some things get stretched. You know, like, you, uh, you learn from trial and error. Um, it's just like colors. Like, could you imagine, um, trying to appease everybody with every color that you could possibly right. get. Right? right. It's just, it's, it's just impossible. So yeah, the, the big deal is, as I look at it as we try, I've always tried to find materials that, that solved the problem, um, that were easy to incorporate in, in my fly time. So if you want some bulk without the weight, then there's your laser dub. If you want, uh, you know, some flash and some, uh, you know, some filler, that's where, you know, some of the, the fusion fibers and the hairs come from. Okay. Um, you know, I always had a problem with brushes. Uh, when I bought brushes, um, I was making my own forever, but it, anybody that makes brushes knows like, you know, it's, it's just quite the process. Right. Um, so I did brushes with, uh, Enrico Puglisi, you know, the chromatic series, which these are very fine, sparse brush, they're made so that you can wrap them in underbodies and stuff and spay flies or use them in, as sparse heads on streamers. Okay. It's, it's, it's the, it's the biggest rule in fly tying. I, you know, I tell every, every new student or anything I have that comes through this is like, once you learn material control and portion, like when I first started tying, I put too many, too much material on the hook. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at pictures on my Instagram and stuff, guys go, Oh, there's just a whole lot going on in there. No, there's really not. It just looks that way, you know, but all the functionality is right. You get it all the time, you know, like, oh, he's got 15 things in this recipe. Well, it's little bits of this and little bits of that. I mean, that's the whole point of having materials, right? You know, if if you're getting into fly fishing to save money, um, like, come on, like, it's the oldest joke in the world. Just like golf. You ain't saving money playing golf. No. (laughs) Okay. Like, get over it. Like. Yeah. You either want it or you don't. The, the, we don't need to fly fish, okay? Fly fishing isn't going to save the world, okay? Um, this is a hobby. This is, uh, this is a sport. This is something that uh, you want to do or you don't, okay? So, you know, I, I treat it exactly like that. You know, I, 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 think, I think that's the – I wish the automakers, you know, like when I went and bought a car, they'd be as direct as that. Cause that's exactly what you either want this car or you don't, you know? So that's, uh, you know, that's the material. And that's the thing is like, think about how much material is out there. I mean, I mean, hairline's one company, right? But just think of how thick these catalogs are. Think yeah, about crazy. how many new things are coming all the time. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, we're making, we're making stuff out of suede where people are making stuff out of tablecloths. Okay. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm real big on synthetics. Okay. Uh, and the reason for that is like, I, is it the best for the environment? I, I'm not saying that it is. 
I guess it's like the lesser evil in small amounts is mm. the way I look at it. Okay. What would you use other than, so for your stuff, if you take the, um, let's just take the laser dub, for example, I mean, instead of the laser yep. dub, what would be, what would be a non-synthetic that you could use? A wool? Just wool, a wool. Like, yeah, like natural wool or, or fur, you know, and that's, that's the way I look at this is like, you know, like, yes, it is synthetic. Um, but like they only make so many chickens. They only, there's only going to be so many furs. Okay. Um, I try to make materials that I have something to create a fly or a lure or something fishable. Like after I can't get those things. Okay. Exactly. That's, that's the way I've, I've always tried to treat this is like, uh, I'll always have a way to stay connected to, you know, one of the things I like to do and that's catch steelhead. That's cool. Do you know what, uh, I'm just curious, I'm not sure if you even know it, but like the laser dub or the other stuff, I mean, what is, what the actual material is? Is it like a polypropylene or something or what, what is that stuff? It's like a, it's like an acrylic fiber. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just, you know, and there's, don't forget there's multiple elements to it. Exactly. I learned it too. You know what I mean? So, um, I, I think they're all different. Like, yeah, some are some things are trilobal, some things are antron. There's a bunch of different. Yeah, I always kind of look at the, um, you know, I, I don't don't always, but just like the clothing, like what I'm wearing right now, I think about all of the stuff that's not natural. But I will say the stuff that's natural, the wool, the uh, the down and stuff, is kind of my favorite stuff. It's funny, but there's tons of synthetic materials that are out there in clothing that works really great, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean. I mean, that's a great example. I mean, like, think about this. How many, I mean, not very many of us are wearing cotton anymore to go hunting or fishing, are we? No. You know, we've learned once you sweat or get wet in cotton, you're, you're toast. Yep. Right? It's all You know, so all these synthetic materials that wick away moisture or give you a barrier, um, I mean, with the exception of wool, which you can still get wet and be warm, you know what I mean? Um, synthetics yeah. have kind of made us last longer in the outdoors yep and i don't think it gets the credit it it deserves to do that and i mean that's a great analogy to use with the way i approach doing materials just wanted to give you something that was going to last longer or be we are going to have available longer okay and you know did i get some pushback like oh you're doing all this oil based and that there's always going to be oh yeah that environmental nut job that literally <laughs> is going to you know like point the finger but then you look at him and he's 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 using lead split shot he's, he's got a he's cell phone fish, in his pocket he's still yeah he's still fishing a hook and uh you know the rabbit that he's using's died and uh you know i mean like it's like listen all yeah. these things uh, we're all guilty you know oh, yeah. can we can we do a little better yes you know i try to make a point to not lose flies or to retrieve them this is really a one I think hits home on that, you know, on the uh, the copper mines, which is a big thing, you know, up in Alaska. And I think there's some that, the, well, up in your right, the boundary waters, which I haven't dug into, but there's a whole, some mines up there. But the the, the ironic thing is, is that all of that stuff, that copper is going into cell phones. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's where it's going. Like if we didn't have cell phones, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe we wouldn't need those mines, but everybody loves their cell phone. And I don't think anybody's willing to, you know, just throw it away right now. Right. Yeah, I mean, just think about that. We all carry around a device that controls our lives. 
Gosh, that's and a I'm, rough feeling. And, and uh, well, I mean, it, it's just, it, you know, my I, I make fun of my dad, okay? I make fun of my dad for years because, like, I feel like he, he's always missing out, okay? Um, he carries a flip phone still. Nice. And uh, it takes him, like, 14 minutes to say hi in a text message. <laughs> I remember the, the Nokia, you know? Oh, yeah. The, I'm like, dude, you should just get a phone. Like, so, you know, so you can stay connected. And he's like, he's like, if it's important enough, you know, somebody will, you'll call me. Exactly. Or you'll find me. And, and there's some truth to that. Like yeah. that holding on, you know, I, I kind of envy that now, you know, that I'm connected. And if it wasn't for having to work, okay, yep. like, I, I don't know if I would still have one. I think when the day comes that I don't need to, to work, you know, it won't be at work and I don't need it for work that, uh, I won't have it at all. I will go back to a, a flip phone. Maybe by then I'll probably have a cricket. I'll need something with like bigger numbers on it. Oh yeah, you do. That's well, right. Now, how old are you now? It sounds like you're about similar uh, age as me. 43. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. We're in the same age. So I'm, I'm a little older. I got you by a year or so, but, um, yeah, man, that's it. It's, it's, uh, it's, you know, glasses and you're in that transitional zone where, where things are, things are not too far off to be. I mean, what, and your dad is, what's he, is he in his eighties? No, my dad actually had me when he was young. Um, he had me when he was 18. So, you know, my oh, dad's cool. and yeah. So young buck. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that hippies in the seventies, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't follow the rules either. So uh, that's right. Wait, was uh, your dad, uh, so your dad's more like low seventies uh, then? Uh, six. Yeah. Upper sixties. Upper sixties. Yes. That's cool, man. That's really cool. Yeah. So, and did your dad, was he, uh, in fly fishing, fishing, any of that stuff? Negative. No. So my dad, uh, my dad would take us fishing cause we, we loved fishing, you know, like in Pennsylvania, like, like the opening day of trout season and stocking of trout was like, like a party. It's like the opening day of deer season. It's like a, a tradition, you know oh, yeah. what I mean? And, uh, you know, he'd take me and my brother, you know, with our ultralight spinning gear and night crawlers or maggots. And, you know, we'd go catch brown trout. That, that was the extent of his fishing. My dad's a hunter, a uh, big hunter. And, um, uh, you know, he travels, he let, he bear hunts, you know, white tail. He's at least like me. White tail's very, a big deal for our family and, uh, loves to hunt wild turkey. So it's, he, uh, he puts the, all that effort into, uh, into being in the woods. That's cool. And that's part of, it sounds like we're not going to have time today to dig into your, your hunting, hunting. It sounds like you're into archery, but, um, is that kind of comes from him? Yeah, that's, uh. That stuff's just for me anyways. So yeah. it works that way. That's it. Archery is your, so your profession is your, uh, is the fishing, but archery is that kind of your, your passion more your passion now? No, that's, that's not fair. So, I mean, I, I look at it like, and, and, and I hope people out there listening really listen to this part. So to be, you know, to, to be a, to be known, to be a good guide, to, to be good in that business you know, to, to, you know, to, to put yourself on a, on sort of like a pedestal, like you want to be the best that you're, I want to be the best steelheader I could be. So that way yep. people wanted to fish with you. That's, that's part of the deal. Right. But what you have to do to get to there is you have to give up everything else that you love. So I gave up 
archery hunting for 20 plus years mm. to be a steelhead guide because archery season, steelhead season in the fall are the same time. Okay. So, so for all those years, I spent time on the river with strangers. And I'm not saying those strangers didn't turn into friends. I'm not saying that I did not enjoy those things. But it finally got to the point where I had to stop and think about it. Like, I'm giving up all this time on uh, at my hunting camp with my dad, my grandfather, my family to do this, to be the man. Or, you know, and I'm saying that lightly, okay? Um, I'm just saying to be super focused on being the best steelhead guy I could be. And uh, that was a mistake. That was a huge mistake to give up all that. I, I can't get that yeah. time back. I, you know, my grandfather died. Hmm. You know, I missed time. Like, you know, my, my dad said a bed. One, once enough, my dad said it best. One, once enough, enough. Yeah. I'm really proud of what you've done. But when's enough enough? Like, when are you going to do the things that, that, that you used to do? Hmm. Okay. So, and he was right. Okay. He was right. And now, you know, I do these things because they're, they're, they're part of me. It's, this is what I do. Um, I don't care. I even had somebody send me an email. It's like, you know, if you, if you keep hunting and you don't stay active in your fishing, you're not going to be known anymore <laughs> i'm like go fuck yourself <laughs> i mean it just yeah. like that fuck yourself i didn't do this to be known like I, I did this to try to be the best i could be at this you know that stuff comes with it like in in the fact that somebody would feel like they're entitled to me being part of their satisfaction really really pisses me off okay um that like they had enough balls to email me and tell me that you're basically saying that everything I've worked for, I'm going to be a failure because I decided to do something I have a passion for. Come on. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, what kind of fucking people have we become when you feel, like, smart enough, you know, brave enough to send somebody an email like that? Yeah. Yeah, that is, that's... You know, so, I mean, that, yeah. those were changing. Those were the changing days for me. You know, when I started feeling like, like that's all I was, was like a resource for everybody else. Then I was done. And now, and then I'm going to be up front. I'm here. I'm, I'm still working in the fishing industry. I'm, uh, I'm really passionate about working with the guys at Schultz Outfitters. I, I help, um, as an operational manager there. Yeah. I, I'm there four to five days a week. I have, I'm kind of behind the scenes. I'm putting, putting the time in. Um, I work with, some of the best people I know. Okay. And if you need me, I'm easy to find. I will answer any question. I will spend any amount of time helping somebody out. I, I have, that's not what I'm trying to say when, when I say I'm angry or, or dysfunction, you know, about how I was treated with that situation or why I've chose to go a different path. Right. Uh, I'm still available. I still help people every day. I am. I'm still active. I still do fly tying. I, I, I do all that. I just don't show it now. Okay. Yeah. Like you're not going to see 15 fly photos a week on, on Instagram. You're not going to see me post on Facebook anymore, but if you need me, you can pick up a phone and I'd love to talk to you. You know what I mean? I, yep. I, I, I want things to be more personal and real. Um, and not what you see on YouTube. 
you know, I'm not gonna, not gonna be that guy ever ever again. So, you know, and that's, and it's become more rewarding. I've been, uh, I've been over at the shop now for the last, you know, three, four years in that capacity. And, uh, most people don't even know it. Now you do. Yeah, and is that is that Mike Schultz? Is that the Schultz Outfitters? Yeah, Mike Schultz, Schultz Outfitters in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Uh, probably one of the most well-rounded shops in the region. Um, we don't have an online store. Uh, we have a very strong social media presence, and we have a very, very strong belief that the only way to give you the best customer service is to talk to a person that actually fishes. Yep. So you should call. You should talk to us. Um, our reviews and, and, uh, the stuff that's said about us out there, you know, it, it, it proves that, that we're on the right path of, uh, of what a fly shop should be. And, uh, we want that personal interaction with people. Right. And, uh, we just don't get that on our phones anymore. What do you guys cover? What is Schultz Outfitters? What, what, what area do you guys cover at all, all of it out there? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we uh, since we don't have an online store, we take a we we do we get a ton of call-ins. Okay, so I mean, we're 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 a destinational fly shop. We uh, we travel all over. Okay, uh, Mike's taking groups from Russia to Louisiana to we we've gone. You know, like I said, the OP for Steelhead. We've done everything. Okay, and we still continue to do these things. Um, but also all of our local fisheries are covered. everything from the warm water aspect to the salmon and steelhead season. So we, we got the great lakes covered. Um, so we're, we're, we're always evolving and, uh, you know, we're not just focused. We are known as a warm water shop, smallmouth are in our backyard and that is Mike's forte. Um, he is, uh, he, I don't think I know anybody that's caught more 20 inch bass than that guy. Okay. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, and I've learned a lot, uh, you know, I wasn't really a warm water guy and, uh, you know, I've, uh, I've really changed my tune and uh, to see how impressive some of the stuff is that they have to do the techno, the, the technological aspect of it. And, you know, it's, it's a nice challenge, but what I'm saying is the shop's extremely well-rounded and, uh, they love, we do love getting that interaction and those hard questions and the hard to find stuff. And, uh, we love seeing it all come together for people. That's cool. Do you guys, are there any lodges up out? I know, I know there are some lodges. I've been kind of uh, curious about that uh, as far as if somebody wanted to come out to that area, is there, do th- is there much of that or is it more kind of get a guide and then uh, head out on the river? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to fish local, I think the smart thing is to do it just like that. Most of, you know, the regions around the Great Lakes, unless you're way up north or something like that, um, I mean, you know, we have the those vacation rental by owner now, right? I mean, oh, yeah. so you got pretty pristine houses that you can you yeah. can get at any time. Um, but we do. We have some cabins and some things that we, we – or in houses that we refer people to. Um, there's also the crowd of people that just prefer to have everything handled for them. They rent a hotel, Yeah, you know, they show up, everything's clean and you know, you get picked up to and from and you know, it's, everybody is different. Every single person that comes through the door is different, you know, that wants to do these kind of things. So you kind of have a little bit of everything to help out there. That's cool. 
All right, Greg. Well, uh, you know, I think I feel pretty good about this conversation. I think um, we definitely got a good background on, you know, on, on your history. I think maybe down the line, if, if you're still into it, maybe we'll get you back on and dig more into some of the, you know, some of the specific techniques and tips. But um, yeah, you know, before we get out here, anything in the next, uh, you know, few months to uh, to uh, six months, anything new coming out for you, we can expect. We, I guess you got some, any books or anything you're working on now? Um. Yes and no. I, uh, I'll be honest with you. Like I do have plans to do book number two. Oh, cool. And, uh, I, I just don't have a timeline on, on how I want to approach that yet, but it's, it's going to be sooner than later. Um, I mean, I hate to say it with, you know, everything that's kind of going on in the world right now. Um, you know, if they shut us all down again with COVID Dave, I, if I'm stuck home, there'll there'll probably be a book sooner. All right. (laughs) Um, but, uh, and I hope that's not the case to be honest with you, but, uh, you know, yes and no, you know, yeah. like I want to make sure that like anything new that comes out of, uh, you know, from me moving forward is exactly what I want it to be. Nice. What, and what was your so, first book? What was the title of your first book? Uh, fusion fly time. That's right. Fusion fly time. So, uh, okay. Well, anything else before we get out of here? I know we, we touched on a little bit on steelhead. Did we miss anything as far as, um, you know, kind of the stuff you have going with your materials? Is there, is there another podcast out there maybe down the line? Uh, no, no. I haven't, yeah. I haven't put anything into, uh, like I said, it's, uh, like I, uh, I didn't see your message. I'm glad that we got a chance to connect and, uh, I, uh, I wish I could say I have something hip, new, and exciting coming. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. You just have to wait. And uh, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you uh, taking the time and letting me talk uh, on your platform. And uh, I hope somebody uh, enjoys it, maybe maybe laughs a little bit. That's that's the most important thing. And uh, if you're going to go steelhead in my neck of the woods, just go. Go and enjoy yourself. Yeah, the probability of you catching a fish is pretty good. That's awesome. And uh, there's some good guys down there uh, that are easy to help. Just give us a call. Call the shop. Perfect. Say, I want to go fishing. We'll, t- we'll make sure you go where you need to go. All right. All right, Greg. Sounds good, man. We'll uh, appreciate you again for taking the time today, and, uh, and I'll keep in touch with you down the line. Sounds good, Dave. Thanks so much. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 176. I would love, I would love, love, love if you could uh, leave a quick rating and review for the show. Uh, you can go to wetflyswing.com slash love, love, and, uh, and leave a quick rating or review. I'd uh, really appreciate that. Uh, and I want to thank you in advance if you have a chance to do that. I want to thank you again today for stopping by to check out the show. Looking forward to catching up with you soon. Hoping to uh, maybe see you online or on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.